All right, so grab your Bible, meet me in Genesis chapter 19. We're going to be finishing out Genesis 19 finally. Um, We're starting in verse 30. So if you're not already there in your Bibles, this will come up on the screen. Let me read this passage for us. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. The firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old. There's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. He will lie down with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. The firstborn went and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink tonight also, that you may go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. The younger arose and lay with him. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Thus ends the reading of the word Lord to us this morning. How are you doing? This is a shocking and disturbing text. Many of you are probably thinking right now, why is this in the Bible? Why? I mean, in this passage, we have a father struggling with crippling fear, a dad drinking with his teenage daughters and him getting blackout drunk and sleeping with them. Not just that, two nights in a row of that. Understandably, if this is your first weekend here at Veritas Church, it may be hard for you to understand, like, why are we doing this? Why do we park here at the end of Genesis 19 together? Because I don't understand how you get that low. How do you get to a place where this is what happens? I mean, this is disturbing stuff. See, if you've been with us for any length of time in, the, in, in Genesis, in this book, We've seen Lot long enough to understand that he's just not a great guy. You know, you don't want to choose him for the team. He's not the guy that you're going to buddy and pal around with. This dude is just like a raging idiot, right? Our first exposure to Lot was thinking he's going to be the obvious choice for God's blessing. We're tracing the lineage down, right? And it should fall to Lot, but who does it fall to? It falls to Abraham, right? God surprisingly chose Abraham instead, and from then on, Lot has only proved himself as a constant headache. Remember the strife with with Abraham's herdsmen, where Abraham, at the end of this, very wisely says, okay, you choose a direction, I'll choose a direction, we'll go into different places. And Lot, where does he go? He chooses to go live next to Sodom. He says, this is the place that's going to bring prosperity, this is the place that's going to be good for me. Then beyond that, he gets captured, Abraham has to go and rescue him, So he's a baby on top of that, right? Chapter 19, we found out Lot doesn't just live in Sodom. He lives in Sodom. He's he's like the kid that, you you know, he's walking around the playground and you tell him like, hey, buddy, don't go behind the swings. You're going to get clobbered. Hey, buddy, don't go 
next to the, he just, this, the kid who gets nailed. He won't listen to what you tell him to do. Not only Lot does he live in Sodom, but it sells, he's, he says in the story last week, he's one of the men sitting at the gate. This means that he's like, he's one of the mayors. He's, he's a representative of the city. He's the guy who meets you at the front like, welcome to Sodom, home of the Sodomites. I don't know where you go with that after that, right? It's just bad. It's all bad. It's dark. It's disturbing. If Lot started out in the story looking like he was gullible, and mostly innocent, he's now proven himself to be a fool. He gives up all pretense of pretending to live according to the will of God. We forget, maybe, that Abram, he was there with Abram. Abram told him about the blessing that was upon him. He even experienced the blessing of God, multiplying being in the presence of Abram, being blessed around the one who was blessed. See, he gives up all pretense of pretending according to live to the will of God. And these three warning signs illustrate it, and they'll come up on the screens for us. First, Lot demonstrates this by he loses focus on God completely. See, Lot sets up shop in the most wicked city he can find, not because he wanted to tell him about Jesus. He wasn't like missionary dating the city here, you know? He wasn't trying to evangelize. He wanted to be rich. He wanted to be successful. He wanted to enjoy the pleasures of the world. He's more focused on getting money, status, and apparently a buzz than leading his family to follow God. The second thing is he's been desensitized to wickedness and sin. We saw last week, this entire city has normalized wicked behavior. Remember last week with the angels? He, like Lot is so deranged and so just out in left field that as the men in the city demand these angels to have their way with them, what does he do? Does he stand up to protect them? No. He says, I've got these daughters. You do whatever you want to them. So not only does he, uh, he isn't concerned with keeping his family from sin or protecting them, he puts them in the perfect place for them to be inundated with it and desensitized to it. He provides the atmosphere by which this wickedness grows in his own family. See, this guy doesn't even have a mental category for leading his family well. Notice I didn't say that he wasn't leading his family. He was just leading them in the wrong direction. He was was leading them in ways he didn't even realize. See, he allows his daughters to be betrothed to absolute losers who get judged with the rest of the sodomites. See, they were too busy trying to, probably sleeping off the night before, taking a nap, that Lot goes to try to rouse them, the men that had to come to him, like he said yes to the dress, right? Like Lot was the one who set up those marriages to happen. That's the way betrothal worked. It's on his head that these guys are absolute losers. And he's betrothed these men to his daughters. He watched as his wife fell so in love with the wickedness of the city that she turns back and is judged right along with the rest of the sodomites. And on top of all that, he isolates himself from healthy community with God-fearers like Abram, and sets his, his family for perversion just as wicked as the Sodomites. He's having a drinking party with his teenage daughters. How disgusting is this? See, after all of that, last week we saw God saves Lot and his family. He takes them out. His wife chooses to go back. She gets judged. But then we see Lot begging God, 
okay, I know I can't have Sodom anymore, but can I have this tiny little Sodom? Can I have this little place where I can do what I want still? Then Lot sees the righteous judgment of God raining down hellfire on Sodom and Gomorrah, completely wipes Sodom off the map. And what does he do? He literally runs to the hills. He doesn't run to Abraham. He doesn't run to where the blessing of God. He doesn't run to community. He runs into isolation. Yeah, he isolates himself up in the cave in the hills with his daughters, and the only thing he can think to bring with himself is the liquor cabinet. This guy's a fool. This man is not just one who's pitiable. He stands as an antonym for what it means to be a godly man. He is driven by fear, and he's running from God. Now imagine we could ask a lot of questions. Imagine we could approach him and say, like, Lot, how'd we get here, man? Like, he probably wouldn't say, you know, well, it was in the five-year plan to, you know, completely destroy my, my marriage and my kids, and it feels good to finally hit rock bottom, you know? Check that off the bucket list. Probably not, right? People who find themselves in the gutter probably aren't there because they want to be. See, when you find yourself at rock bottom, you start to ask yourselves a question if you're a follower of Jesus. How did it get here? Where did things go so wrong? What were the warning signs that were along the way telling me, turn back, you don't want this. Don't go 70 through this curve. You will go off the cliff. You start realizing and asking yourself these questions. And one of the saddest things about the story with Lot is that we're not even told that Lot recognizes how much he's blown it. In fact, he doesn't get another word in Scripture. He never speaks again. No other recorded word in the Bible, just the horrific story of his daughter sleeping with him in order to get pregnant. And we haven't even started with the daughters. They will have to live with the shame of this night for the rest of their lives. Even the names of their children will serve as reminders of their darkest moments. See, if I was in charge of compiling the Bible and putting the stories of the Bible together or writing it like Moses, I got to be honest, I would have I left this one out. I would not wanted to put this one on the page. It's too dark, it's disturbing, it's gross. I've had to sit with this passage for the past couple of weeks studying it, and it turns my stomach. I had a daughter last year. She was born right before the pandemic. To think with the level of depravity you'd have to get to, to end up where they've ended up, turns my stomach. Makes me want to weep in shame. See, I don't want to be reminded of this story, but God has sovereignly ordained that this story be forever immortalized as a part of his holy, inerrant word. See, we believe as a church that this is God's word to us. Every dot, Every iota, Jesus is not going to pass away. This communicates the very words of God to us. And this story stands for us. And God intends something to happen as we read this. We forget in Hebrew culture, kids would have memorized major parts of the Pentateuch. Could you imagine your kids memorizing this story word for word? Now, we're not teaching it in Veritas Kids this morning, so don't go crazy, right? And we didn't go rewrite curriculum from the gospel project, you know. But can you imagine that this story, 
I hadn't really thought about it until I started thinking about it as I studied this passage, but this story matters to God. It matters so much that he included it in the scriptures for us. Here it is. It's here for us. See, through this passage of scripture this morning, God is inviting us like a horror movie. Look into this. See the horrific decisions that were made here. See the warning signs along the way, and don't do it. Don't take these roads. Consider these things. Learn from them and do something about it. Because last week we saw that the city of Sodom had been destroyed by God. This week we see that the spirit of Sodom was alive and well in the hearts of Lot and his two daughters. This is a cautionary tale for us. Like all good cautionary tales, we're meant to learn from the mistakes of others so we don't make those mistakes ourselves. And although this story has a lot to say to all of us, in particular, I'm going to talk first to the men, and in particular, fathers in this room. Now, ladies, um, I was tempted to think like, okay, I'm going to have to tell them, don't check out during this time, but I know what happens during these times. Elbows get thrown during this time. It's like, do you hear what he said? You know, like it's the, where's that pen that I filled out the survey with? Let me turn the thing over. Let me, let me take some notes so you don't forget, right? Because Lord knows he ain't taking notes. See, it's good that you think that. It's good that there's this inclination where we want to know what's good and right and godly for each other. Now, ladies, you'll get your turn too. But in this text, we've already seen the warning signs from Lot, and we're going to talk about specific application from it. And then we'll see warning signs from the daughters, and we'll talk about specific application for them. And finally, in the light of all of these things, we'll look at the few ways that we're all called to live as a community of Jesus' followers that we all can learn, we all can grow, we all can see for these things. And so we should all stay checked in to all of this. The reason why we care about this is because in the beginning, God created all of us for each other. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And that word man means all of humanity. Adam means all of humanity. And then it says, Male and female, he created them. That's all of us. He blessed them, all of us, said to them, be fruitful, multiply the earth, fill and subdue it. What this means is God cares about families. God cares about healthy, thriving marriages that lead in healthy, strong families where kids are supported, loved, and pointed to Jesus. God cares about you men. He cares about you women, whether you're single, married, dating, it doesn't matter. You're important in the eyes of God. You're created with dignity and purpose and value. See, he's the one, Lot is the one that provided the landscape for these things to happen, the horrific things that happen in, in this story. And so that's why we're going to talk to men first for a moment. All right, men, you ready? Got your helmet on? Ready to go? Let's look at verse 30 again. Look at verse 30 of Genesis chapter 19. Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid. Maybe you want to underline that. He was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. So what do we see in Lot? Fear. Fear that motivates him to run motivates him to cower, it motivates him to hide. 
Men, some of you are already waiting for me to come at you with a hammer. You're waiting for me to come at you and try to guilt you or shame you into something. Now, I don't know about you. I've seen this happen in my life. Guilting and shaming people into doing something, does it ever really work? Or maybe it, maybe it works to accomplish the, the short-term goal of getting that person to feel bad about the thing that they're doing or not doing. But long-term, you begin to just identify yourself with that shame. And you're not acting out of an identity, out of a real purpose, out of what God says about you. You're just trying to avoid more shame. You're just trying to avoid more guilt. And so men, you don't need another guilt trip right now. You need to be reminded of what God's good glorious design for you is. Yes, you need to be reminded of the pitfalls to avoid, but then you need to be massively encouraged that it's not up to you to get it right. There is one that got it right. The man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who got it right in your place so that when you blow it, guess what? You have hope, men. You have hope beyond your circumstances, beyond the things that you've done, because Jesus has already walked perfectly in your place. This is the hope of the gospel. Our hope is in him alone, and it's in living in that grace that empowers and strengthens our efforts to take on the great adventure that God has set before us, right? There's dignity in our masculinity, in having good friendships and in fatherhood. So if you're a man, whether you're single, married, divorced, it doesn't matter. You have been gifted with the divine calling of bearing the image of God in your manness. You bear the image of God uniquely in all of creation. God set this on you as a gift. You're a man imaging what it means to be part of the image of God. There's a unique dignity and calling in that. Women, you have a different and just as beautiful and majestic of a call to bear the image of God in your femininity. See, being a man is primarily about what you can bench press or how many football games you can watch or how much beer you can drink, right? That's what the world wants you to believe. Just put on this bravado and gusto about everything in your life and start like beating your chest and, you know, like the, the home improvement guy. And that's what masculinity is supposed to be like, right? No. As a man, you are made in the image of God and we're given everything we're, we need on page one of the Bible. God, in the beginning, names, tames, divides, and rules over creation. We are meant to walk in the steps of our Father God. In our working, in our doing, in our parenting, in our loving, in our serving, in our jobs, we are meant to name and tame and divide and rule like our Father God did in the beginning. This happens in our investment with our kids. Only you, as a man, as a father, have the ability to speak to your boys and tell them what's really valuable about them. You're the only one that can say, I love you as a father, and it goes further than any other voice on the planet. That is a divine responsibility. That is a holy calling as a father. You're meant to fight against sin. You're meant to fight against the chaos around us. You're meant to give a a self-dying, loving attention and leading to your wife and your family that results in what the Bible calls shalom. See, on page one of the Bible, God creates everything, right? He orders it. He 
you know, he, everything is right and good, and, and everything is perfect as it should be, right? God says it's good, it's very good. That peace that's created in that is called shalom. That means peace, safety, wholeness, prosperity. And God wants to use men to bring peace, safety, wholeness, and prosperity to those around us, whether that's in our singleness or in our marriages. So for most of you, that means follow Jesus. Repent of your sins. Stay faithful to one woman for the rest of your life. Raise kids to know and follow Jesus. Make disciples. And for some of you, in your singleness, and maybe you're called to singleness, the game plan's still the same. Follow Jesus, repent of your sins, stay faithful to Jesus for the rest of your life, and go make disciples. Even in your singleness, it's given to you as a gift by God to have a greater relational band with others to share the gospel and make disciples. See it as a gift. Now back to Lot. Now back to Lot. So if, there, if that's the game plan, we can pretty easily see where Lot gets this wrong. And, you know, since we're still on men, maybe you like Sports Center and you got like the top 10 plays of the week or whatever. Uh, Ryan has already told me that OU's like, you know, catch and the a defensive catch in the ends on the interception is going to make it. Uh, we'll see. Now, what we get from Lot is a top three don't do these things. Don't do these things that we can take away from his story. The first is don't. Put your own interests above that of your family. We can easily see he was motivated by his career. He was motivated by the status and prestige. He was proud to be sitting at that gate in Sodom, even though he didn't take seriously the consequences that would have for his families. Some of us men, we care more about what our boss says about us than our wives. That's a problem. Some of us care more about what uh, we do on the weekends than we are faithfulness to biblical community, and those are problems. More of us care about the score of a game on our Xbox and investing in our kids. This is a problem. So, second thing is, don't desensitize yourself to sin like Lot. Like, he literally chooses to live inside. He could have lived somewhere else, you know? But he goes and lives in the middle of just, like, it's like going and living in the middle of the Las Vegas Strip. You know, just the, the worst possible place possible for you, whatever that place is, that's where he's living. And his kids and his family and his wife, and he is constantly exposed to sexual perversion. And on top of that, it looks like he's made over drinking a habit. So he's made no big deal of getting plastered two nights in a row in this story. And finally, don't isolate yourself. Do you think that Lot would have been able to do this without somebody checking him if he was around Abram? If he was around those godly men following the blessing of God? He's literally in a cave. <laughs> he separated himself from every other person on the planet, so much so that his daughters think that they're the only people living on the planet. That's crazy isolationism right there. That's a complete lie. Lies happen in the dark. That's the only place that they can flourish. So as we think back to the garden, God's good intention for man, the only place where God says it's not good in the early parts of Genesis is when man is alone. Not good, man is alone. So, men, instead of making these rookie mistakes, we are called to live, lead our families by laying down our lives so that they can live. We walk in obedient, uh, obedience, like the example of Jesus in these things, and we place our faith and hope in Him rather than our ability to get it right all the time. All right, ladies, it's time for you too. Here we go. Let's look back into the story. Verse 31. Firstborn said, to the younger. Our father is old. There's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. 
Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, and he may preserve the offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. These girls are convinced of a lie here. Yes, groundwork was laid by Lot, awful. But these girls are convinced of a lie, that they're alone on the planet. These girls don't trust God. Whatever they had heard about God from Lot, it's clear they don't trust him at all. They're driven to take whatever means necessary to get a child. At this time, children were your pension plan. Children were your retirement plan. Children were your life insurance. Children were your labor force. Like, I know that sounds bad, but that's literally how this all worked. Without a child, you had no hope. Who's going to take care of you in old age? Like, especially if you're a woman in this society where they don't even treat you as like a full person. See, these children were, were their hope. They were the insurance plan for these girls. And so what they do is they treat sin like it's nothing. To be blunt, these girls roofie and rape their own father. I know that's not something you wanted to hear or expected to hear this morning, but although we hear about situations where it brings me anger to think about women being treated this way, being drugged and assaulted against their will, it doesn't mean that this cannot happen to men. And I'm not victimizing men. In the same way that we tend to talk about porn and sexual addiction only being a male problem, women can and do struggle with this, these things as well. So women of God, this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, consider the action that's, that these girls take, the, the links that they went to, and in the light of their actions, I think that we could see a couple of don't do's for you as well. One is, don't believe the lies that surround you. You are constantly being inundated, ladies, with lies from the world trying to say that you are the captain of your own destiny. You've got to work things out for yourself. You just got to do what, it get, what you need to get it done. You got to work harder, faster, longer than anybody else. Take whatever means necessary to get your status, your prestige. That's what the world wants you to believe. They, the world wants you to believe that you're defined by what you produce, whether that's babies or a career. The world wants you to believe that you're irrelevant and boring unless you have the perfect Instagram life. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's the lie that you should blindly follow your boyfriend or your husband headlong into sin. Now, if that man is in sin, you do not follow his lead. You reject that. See, like these girls do, these girls don't trust God. And so the don't here is don't trust yourself above God. This is the first lie in the garden. I think my way's better. I think taking this other path other than what God has laid out is better. So if you have a mistaken identity that defines your dignity or purpose in something outside of what God has for you, you're going to do whatever it takes to make that identity come to fruition. These girls were defined by their identity of We've got to have a son. We have to have offspring. We've got to have children to take care of us, to provide a future for us. What they do, they, you, whether it's lying or cheating or using the ones you love, if you trust yourself above God, you will find yourself compromising in surprising ways. 
See, in, in the light of all of that, in the brokenness, in the, just the ruin of all of that, I think we are all called to take seriously our calling as followers of Jesus to be leaders, to lead well. Rather than what Lot did, leading in the wrong direction, we're all called to lead in the different spheres of life that we have. And so these will come up on the screen as well. Whether or not you know, you are a leader in some capacity. Whether that's just leading yourself, you're leading others, you're leading your family, you're leading people in community, whatever that is, And so as an entire church family of followers of Jesus, if we have our hope set on the gospel, here's some things I think that we could take away from this story is that we should lead by valuing Jesus and others more than our career, title, and interest. You see this primarily expressed in Lot. And then all the values that these girls have on getting this thing for themselves. So what this means is we functionally value these things. Uh, We value Jesus more than these things. So that means you value others more than these things as well. If you're single here and you treat like community, like biblical community is just kind of optional thing on the plate, don't, don't avoid that warning sign. Don't blow past that and say, well, it's no, it's no big deal. If I can't really be involved here, I'll just show up, get my Jesus fixed on Sundays, whatever. That is, don't take that path. There is something better and greater and deeper and more valuable for you in Jesus. You need, we need each other. Also in your family. Like, if you're, if you're a parent here, if you're married here, are you showing your wife and your kids that you love Jesus more than the things that you're interested in? Do you, do you love that you show them more than the other things and interests in your life? See, the second thing is we are called to lead by setting an example in Christ-like character and discernment and repentance for others, and if you're married, your family. So it's walking in repentance. So parents, you don't just get to rage parent on your kids all the time, right? You don't just get to wild out on your kids and then just be like, no, that's just daddy, you know? Or that's just mom, she, wait till the afternoon, she'll, she'll calm down. These things can't be normative in us. But when they can and do happen, what do we do? We repent. We walk in confession. We model that for our kids. Not like Lot. Lot just runs into a cave. Let me board myself up on all sides. Let me hide from everybody who could see this thing in my life. We need other people in our life to be able to call out, like, I see that godly character coming about in you. You should have people in your life that are pointing you to Jesus in these ways. They're encouraging you in these ways. And, and people that you're actually confessing things to. So we, rep- we model this repentance for others and our families. And this also means we take seriously some things that like, are just kind of like the, 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 the normal stuff of life. I know I'm probably going to get a hate email of like, oh, you're being legalistic about thinking about stuff. Or, but parents in the room, do you, care, do you care about or do you know what your kids are watching on YouTube? Do you know? You men watch shows that that are borderline pornographic. Ladies, are you watching shows that are borderline pornographic? There's going to be ramifications for that. It's going to take you down a path you don't want to go. See the warning sign. Are you listening to music with your kids that celebrate a culture that you'd be horrified to see your kids actually kind of live out in front of you? Look, I'm going to take my shot at bro country right now because I hate it. I don't, if you know what bro country is right now, I'm talking to you, okay? 
Imagine that's your daughter sitting on the back tailgate of a truck with the, you know, the girl in a truck and a buzz in my cup kind of thing going on. Not only is that just terrible songwriting, it's just lazy. They're just trying to get the hook and like, you know, it's just terrible. But would you be like stoked if that was your daughter on that tailgate? Would you be stoked if that was your son providing alcohol at the party? 15? No. You got to consider these things. Like don't celebrate a culture that like is antithetical to the gospel. See, the last thing that we should lead out in is ensuring that our families are surrounded by a community of people that know and love Jesus. This goes for all of us. See, Jesus gave us an example, and he did this for himself. He didn't have to. Like, God himself exists in community with himself as a part of the Trinity, right? He doesn't need us as a part of the equation. But what does Jesus do here on earth? He models what it means to live in community. He's got a ton of friends he hangs out with all the time, from just like the followers that are there with him to the women supporting his ministry. He's got people he goes and weeps at their funeral at. You know, he goes and he's deeply invested with people around him. But then he's got the 12 that he's like tighter with, that he's really investing with. He's helping them know and love God the way that he already does. And then finally, he's got the three which know him intimately. They get to see him transfigure on the top of the mountain. They get to be with him in his darkest moments. See, the way this should work out in real life is making sure that you are connected with others who know and love Jesus. And this is what the church is all about. This is why we need each other here in this room. We're made for one another. So I just want to encourage you, if you're not in a discipleship group, a group of one or two, three folks, or I guess there's got to be two or three folks that gather together preferably weekly, to just confess your sin, read the Bible, be known by one another? Man, don't take that road. There's something better. There's something greater. There's something more fruitful for you. Just, just think about a vision of this happening in our church. Just imagine a group of people, one or two individuals that come together with you, and it's a place where you're known and you're loved and there's not one sin you could confess in the presence of those two or three people that you would be judged for. Just imagine that. Imagine reading the Bible with other men or other women who say, like, man, I got questions too. I got doubts too. Or, man, have you seen what Jesus does here? Or the ways that God is revealing himself to, in the word to me in this way? Don't we all want that? Don't we all want a place where we can be fully known and fully loved in the community like this in the way that we already are by God? He already knows us. He already fully loves us. We have his full trust. We all model that with each other in the church. And if we can't do that here in the church, oh man, what are we even doing here? This ought to be the safest place to know the deepest, darkest depths of sin that happened deep in a cave somewhere. Like, I want Lot at my church. Do you want Lot at your church? Jesus does. Jesus wants him here. He wants him confessing. He wants him known. He wants him loved. He wants him following him and seeing the depths of love God has for him this morning. 
I don't care what you did last night. Maybe you were in the deepest, darks, darkest, darkest parts of that cave of sin. Maybe you have made a mess of your life. Maybe you feel like you're at your rock bottom. Man, there is still gospel hope for you. Look at verse 37 of Genesis 19 again. The firstborn bore a son. They called his name Moab. Moab means from father. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. If you're here this morning, there's still gospel hope for you, like there is in this story. This is a glimmer of gospel hope, even in the foolishness and recklessness of the actions of Lot's daughters and Lot himself. At the end of this story, we're left with this detail from the author of Genesis, and it points us forward like this. See, although the Moabites would be a group of people that would be hated by the Israelites, not for this, but for something else that happens later on in the Old Testament, they were even told that they couldn't worship together in the same spaces. They weren't welcome. But later on, there's a woman named Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. She's married to a guy. He's a loser. God judges him. He dies. But she stays with her mother-in-law and walks with her and helps her and, and, and gives her life in service to her and wants to follow her God. Your God will be my God. Your, you know, your people will be my people. And eventually she is brought into the family of God because she marries a man named Boaz. At the end of the tiny book of Ruth, I want to encourage you to just go home and read it. It's so good. You could read it in like 20 minutes. It's great. At the end of the tiny book of Ruth, it tells us that Boaz and Ruth have a son. They name the son Obed, and he is the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of King David. This is the glimmer of hope here. Do you feel like you've blown it beyond comparison? Like the dark, darkest, deepest, most ruinous sin you can think of. There is gospel hope for you this morning. Who would have thought, other than God himself, in this horrific story that would find its redemption in none other than being a part of the master plan of God to bring about King David? And then even his greater son, you know who comes from David. Jesus, our Messiah. See, like Lot hid in a cave in shame, Jesus would descend into the dark depths of the earth, bearing our shame and our, our sin. And three days later, you know what he would do? He would emerge from that grave and rise again in victorious over death itself, bringing hope not only to us, not only to the Moabites, for the whole world, for all of us. Jesus is our hope, and all who hope in Jesus and his finished work are saved forever and completely to walk in the newness of life. See, church, if we just try to drum up enough strength to do all the things that I've been talking about in the gathering today, we're going to fail. We're going to blow it. We're going to end up just like Lot in shame. But if our hope is firmly fixed in Jesus and the good news of the gospel, his the hope of the resurrection is not just our shame dealt with, but the very presence of God with us forever. We can't run anymore. God is with us. When we feel like sin is close at hand, guess what? God is even closer than that. He has filled us with his very own Holy Spirit to give us authority over that sin, to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. See, we have a hope beyond death. 
beyond our sin, beyond the grave, we can know newness of life, actual newness of life, free from guilt that used to drag us down and keep us from that true life and real freedom. See, if you're here today, you've not placed your hope in Jesus. Today is the day. If you're here and you feel like, man, I have, I'm on the way to making my, just ruining my marriage. I'm on the way to ruining my relationship with my kids. Maybe you feel like you're on the way of like, man, I feel like I'm in the cave. Like I'm already hiding. See, the offer for you this morning is come out of that grave. Come out of that sin. Come out of that shame. Jesus has forever won your freedom. All you've got to do is go to Jesus. All you've got to speak a word. Jesus immediately meets you with his grace and his kindness and his strength in the midst of your weakness. So church, I'm going to pray for us in a minute or two. The pastor's going to be at the back of the room back there. And as we prepare to respond together, if, if, that, if I've described you and you just need prayer, come meet us for prayer. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you just need to do business right there with God in your seat. Let me pray and let's respond together. Lord Jesus, after such a weighty and just frankly disgusting story that shows what could be for many of us. God, I pray for those of us that feel like Lot right now, overwhelmed with sin and shame and walled in on all sides with isolation. God, I pray that that lie would not be believed. They are not alone. For the men in the room who've not walked as honorable, godly men, men like Boaz that rescue and save, but walk instead like Lot and hide in their sin and their shame. God, I pray that they would feel your gentle call to call them out of darkness and into your glorious light. God, I pray that this morning, the women in the room feel like they've taken advantage of people, situations, they're They've taken things into their own hand because they feel like they know better. God, I pray, would that not be the case any longer? For people that feel like it's not okay to have doubts or express them, I pray they would feel the freedom that they have in you, Christ. As they hold on to you, they may grapple with the hard things of Scripture, the hard things of your word and in life. Because you're never going to leave them. You're never going to forsake them. You're never going to abandon them. And God, I pray for those in the room this morning that have not walked yet in newness of life in the gospel, you would bring their dead heart to life this morning in you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.